The Holy Gospel according to John from the sixth chapter. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about your favorite book. Have you ever wished to be a part of that story for just a little bit? My dad used to read to me from a collection of science fiction books when I was little, and just recently I found them again, all bound together in two large books. As I read through them, I found myself having the same reaction as an adult that I did as a child. Wouldn't it be cool to be inside that book? To meet the characters, to use all their cool devices, to see the worlds that they're traveling through, not just in my imagination, but really there. Words on a page tend to invoke those feelings in us. Because if books didn't bring stories to life, then no one would really bother reading them, right? But when we turn the last page in whatever book we are reading, there's a small amount of disappointment that comes with that. The end. The story is over. Its characters and worlds and mysteries ended with the closing of that book. That's the way stories and books work. Except for one. God's story is not like that. He is so amazing. We have these great words from him compiled all into one book. And in it, we get to read all about the miracles that he performs. We get to see how he interacts with people. And even though there is a historical element to it, the words in this book are not stagnant. In fact, they're anything but. It comes to life and affects people today. Unlike any other book you will ever read. You see, we don't just get to imagine that we are a part of that story. We actually are a part of it. A part of God's story. As his children, when we read about Joshua and the tribes of Israel, we see them, we see in them, God's foundational love for his people. And that story not only recounts the events of what happened in Joshua's life and to the tribe of, tribes of Israel, but it says to us, you too, you too are a part of this story. Do you see how God treats his people? Do you see how he brings them up out of Egypt? 
Do you see how his people respond to them with faith and love and devotion? And you too should respond like that. And you know, Joshua isn't even the first to encounter God. In the Old Testament lesson, Joshua tells us of Abraham's father who used to live in a different land and worship different gods. But you see, God's story breaks into Abraham's life. And now his descendants stand in the land of the Amorites before that same God, with Joshua telling them to throw away the gods of their forefathers, to no longer serve those idols, but to serve the one true God, like Abraham did. Joshua says to the Israelites, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. See, Joshua wants the people to rely on God after he has done so much for them. Because throughout the book of Joshua, they have to rely on God as they move further and further into that promised land. They meet enemy after enemy, and the Lord helps them to beat and drive away all those armies. And now Joshua stands before them one more time, asking them to forsake the worship of all other gods and only worship the true God who has done so much for them. The people's response is positive. Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in this land. We too will serve the Lord Because he is our God. This is what the Israelites proclaim based on what God has done for them. And so it comes after our Old Testament lesson tells us that Joshua made a covenant with those people. Then he wrote down everything in a book. The book was called the Book of the Law of God. Happy ending, right? There it is, we read it. The end. With a sense of longing, we might think, wow, it would be cool for God to help us fight our battles. It would be cool if God would lead us to a promised place. And it would be really neat to have a covenant too, just like Joshua and his people. But as the scene closes in the book of Joshua, it's not really the end of the story, is it? Because we know that much later, the Israelites find themselves unable to live up to their end of the deal. They can't seem to follow all the rules. They can't seem to keep up with all the laws. They find other gods, easier gods, to follow, to worship. And then they fall away. Does that sound familiar to you? You know, maybe we're a part of the story even more than we initially thought. How often do we say yes 
We are going to follow God, forsake all other gods because of all of the things that he has done in our lives. And yet things get in the way of worship. Things get in the way of our commitment. You see, we need money to live, and it's easy to become obsessed and make it all important over our faith. We are tired and busy people. All the issues in life tend to get in the way of us standing up for Jesus in the face of the world. It's easier, it really is easier to agree with the masses and to worship their gods of food and fashion and lust and power, just like the Israelites who came to love the law and the power that it gave and the other false gods so much that many of them even missed the Savior when he walked, when he spoke with them, when he loved them. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, after Joshua, we see the people of God struggle to fit into a world that often forsakes God for its own purpose. And we do this too. We let others tell us how to act. We let idols try to be our nourishment, and we put great importance on possessions or positions instead of on God. Now, I want you to hear, I don't say this to make you feel guilty about what you own or about what you're like. It's just a statement of fact, an acknowledgement of our condition. Being sinful creatures means that we are separated from God by that sin. It stands between us and God. And we are not capable of following all the proclamations that we make about serving only God. We can't do it. And the devil knows this. And he uses our weakened, sin-sick souls in any way he can to try to pull us further and further away from God. And it can seem like he's doing a pretty good job. We look at the world, at the trouble we find ourselves in along with the Pharisees, along with the Israelites, and the people who rejected Jesus. And it is easy to think that perhaps... Perhaps the devil is winning. But guess what? I promise you that try as Satan might, and let me tell you, he tries hard. The joke is really on him. And oh man, is it a good one. Let's turn now. Leave that hanging there and turn now to the words written in this great book. For the last three weeks, we have been working our way through what's called the Bread of Life Discourse. It's found in chapter 6 of John's Gospel. And as you've heard, it's focused on Christ giving his life for the salvation of the world. And he connects his body to bread. Bread was and really still is a staple of life in most places of the world. It's cheap to make. It's filling when it's eaten. It satisfies our need to eat. If it's all that we had, we could make do. We could survive on bread. Some of us might even choose to live on bread. And this is why Jesus uses this metaphor about being the bread of life. He's saying to us that he, Jesus Christ, is the staple of our lives, not anything else. He has given us his body on the cross for food and drink, and he is the sustainer of our lives. 
When we live on Christ, we have eternal life. When we live on God's word to us, we are nourished and sustained. We are told in the beginning of John that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, Jesus Christ doesn't just have the words of eternal life. He is the word of eternal life. Jesus Christ, our bread, is the word of eternal life. He is the bread, the nourishment, the sustainer of all things. He gives us his body and his blood in the Lord's Supper. And now you see why the joke is on the devil. Try as he might to separate us from God using our weaknesses against us. Try as he might to sink the Israelites into ignoring the Messiah. Even as some of them fell away. Even as some of them loved the law more than God. Even as we fall away and love the world more than our God. Jesus says... The Father has sent me. I am coming to you because you cannot come to me. Christ hangs on the cross to take away that separation. And because Christ fills the gap so completely, the devil no longer has a way in. And our salvation is confirmed in Christ. You see... The law was not the end of the story. Jesus, just as Jesus did not only come for the Israelites, he came for each of one of us as well. Because it's not just about the people that we read about in the Bible who are part of God's story. I really want you to hear this. You are part of God's story. Each one of us, his children. We think about his children all around the world that act out and live this story each and every day. You are wanted in this story. You are loved and fed and supported, sought after and filled by the bread of life who desires nothing more than for you to know him and live in him each and every day. So choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household... We will serve the Lord. Amen.